So who marches out of the University of Massachusetts with a BS in plant and soil science, takes an assistant position at a very exclusive slash secretive golf course property on the New York, Connecticut border, takes over as superintendent three months later and stays for 51 years. <laughs> I'm going to tell you who it's our, our honoree for today, Mike Maffei, CGCS, our latest all-star of turf. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. Yes. So you retired December 31st. I was shocked. I know you'd been uh, at Morfar, and we'll get into that, what whatever that is, uh, in, in a bit. But you started there in 1971, which let's just put this in perspective. I was a junior in high school then. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the old adage says that uh, luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. So you were newly minted uh, graduate of UMass. Uh, Pat Lucas hired you at um, Morfar. And shortly thereafter, he was promoted to GM. So you were tasked with growing in a new back nine, an intern that Pat had also hired, took over the existing front nine. That's really weird. Yeah, we could keep our resources uh, where we needed them. So I took the majority of the staff. And, you know, we did what we had to do. The, the construction of the back nine was was terrible. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of work to do before we could even think about opening. So we spent the summer of 71 and spring of 72 uh, just getting to where it had to be to open. And so we opened uh, around Memorial Day of 1972. But uh, Ed Nash was, was the intern. And Ed... He handled the day-to-day -day maintenance on the, on the golf on the front nine. And I took the majority of the staff and we did what we had to do on the, on the growing. And that worked out, that worked out very well. So uh, this property, Morfar, M-O-R-E-F-A-R, I tried to do a little research just to find out what this place is all about. And I just hit a brick wall online. I mean, you know, there's arguably more information about Augusta National out there than there is about this particular uh, property. But a lot um, of what is out there is uh, is a lot of uh, misinformation. Well, I'm sure. I mean, most of what I could find was, um, you know, posts in golf forums and stuff like that. Oh, how do I get on the Morfar? And the answer was, you don't. Uh, basically. Now, the weird thing was, was that this property, now this is located about 80 miles north of New York City, correct? Yeah, about 60. 60. Okay. So, and it's right on, it's in Brewster, New York, right on the um, Connecticut border, uh, bordering Danbury. And within sight of Richter Park Golf Course. More or less. Yeah, we've got we've got four and a half holes in Danbury, Connecticut. Up the okay. golf course. So the Richter Park the Richter Park players can see 
the more far course yes. as well, which sort of added adds to the mystique. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, this property, this 500 acre property was um, owned by an individual who was associated with AIG insurance. Mr. Starr, he started the beginnings of AIG in 1919 over in China. During a war, he had to move out of there and he set up shop in New York City. Uh, and that's where AIG was, was headquartered uh, up until the end. So Mr. Starr uh, bought the property in Brewster, uh, no golf course, uh, in the late 40s. And uh, it was his weekend retreat. And he had friends who, local people, the local Brewster area that, that, that enjoyed golf. Mr. Starr did not play golf. He played tennis. And uh, he decided he would build nine holes uh, for those individuals. Mid, the early to mid-60s is when the front nine was built. I, I think my first summer, I think uh, my first summer here, we had, uh, for the year, we had 350 rounds of golf. And uh, you know, pretty much it was the key executives of... Uh, of AIG who would use it on weekends. Pretty much during the week, we saw nobody. <laughs> 350 rounds. For the year. So that begs the question, how did you avoid going crazy from boredom? You know, obviously, once you got the, the back nine grown in and you were in maintenance mode for for all 18 holes, How'd you avoid going crazy? I mean, well, to be honest with you, I didn't. I really didn't know any better. Uh, you know, that's the way it being was. Being the first place you've there. ever worked. Well, I had worked. Uh, I had worked. You worked at five, Worcester Country Club five summers uh, at uh, Worcester Country Club, Massachusetts. So I know what a regular club looked like. What went on? I don't know. I, I just adapted to it. We maintained it as though we had people that come in there every day because. We never knew when somebody might show up during the week. So we couldn't be caught our pants down and not have any, no greens cut and that type of thing. You know, as years went on, you know, play grew. But not to, uh, not to the extent that you would expect. But Grew to, grew to what? Two, three thousand, uh, four thousand rounds grew, a year? Yeah, the last, oh, eight or nine years or so, we've averaged about 2,500 rounds a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah, in our heyday, back in the '80s, early '90s, we were doing uh, probably six to seven thousand rounds. But then, uh, you know, things changed a little bit, and rounds dropped off. But we're holding around at twenty-five hundred mark. Back to trying to research some information on this property. About the most information I could find was an August nineteen ninety-four issue of the Tita Green magazine, which was the Met GCSA's uh, newsletter, magazine, whatever. And there was an article in there about you having received their Sherwood A. Moore Award, which is the Met's most prestigious award. And again, this is mid-94. Um Again, a, a frame of reference, I was paging through that um, 
that issue. And on page four, there's a list of new members of which I was one of them. Did you have to like sign a non-disclosure agreement or, <laughs> you know, did you have a gag order put on you? I noticed that you don't have a LinkedIn account. You don't have a Twitter account. You don't have a Facebook account that I could find. You have been a TurfNet member and have posted 66 times over the years. <laughs> no, to answer your question, no, I didn't have to sign anything. But it was known unofficially, just you don't talk a lot. You know, They encouraged the low profile. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the other things, Facebook, uh, Twitter, I'm just not a, I'm not a high-tech person. I'm not a technology guy. Uh, I have enough trouble doing a Zoom call, never mind a... Uh, going on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, that's just a personal preference. Yeah, well, that's cool. Um, my wife's on Facebook all the time, but uh, you know, I, I shy away from all that. Yeah, well, I don't I don't blame you. Um, you know, I pretty much get everything I need, really. If I really need a lot of info, I just go on, I just go on TurfNet. <laughs> well, there <laughs> you go. Yeah. And you have been a member since just about year one, I think, I'm sure. So yeah. uh, thank you for that. Which was going to lead me to, um, I guess we've sort of just answered one of my last questions was, I noticed you still have an AOL email address. Yeah. You know, like, unlike a lot of other people, I haven't had a lot of trouble with it. It's worked fine for me. It's been okay. Now, you're, what, 74, something Three, like 73. that? 73. 73. Just about everybody I know that, that ha still has an AOL email address is over 70. <laughs> and, most, and most of them just um, just say it was it was potentially too much of a pain in the neck to change. And like you, I guess they they did. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's that was a big part of it. Well, you know, John Carlone's still got an AOL email address. He does. Yes, he yeah. does. In yeah. fact, so uh, above and above and back and beyond the. Um, your career as a superintendent, one of the most uh, notable things that that you're uh, that you're noted for is your work um, with the associations, both the Met, the Hudson Valley Group, and the uh, NIST, the New York State Turfgrass Association. And um, you've served in just about every office on every committee uh, for a long time. With a particular interest, I, as I understand it, in legislative and regulatory issues, does that sound about right? Yeah, I sort of. Well, wasn't that I went looking for that? Uh, I, I, I was on a nice board. I'm off now, but I was on a nice board almost thirty years. As regulations were changing in New York. Nice to Which follow. is one of the most highly regulated states in the country, second yeah. probably only to California, I would yeah. think. Right. So, NICE's board felt that it was time, especially uh, uh, Beth Semi, who was the executive director, she, she saw the need for us to get involved. Myself and Steve Griffin uh, from Saratoga Side, we, we, we formed this legislative committee, is what we called it government relations, and that's how it all started. But we thought it was, very, it was very important to be involved. And to this day, we're probably the most organized group, uh, one of the most organized groups for legislative stuff. You're talking uh, about NYSTA now. NYSTA. 
uh, 20, a little over 20 years ago, uh, Steve Griffin came up with the idea we should have a, we should host our own lobby day in Albany. Uh, so we have two new chairmen of that legislative committee, uh, Tom Kaplan from Long Island and Bob Nielsen from the Met. They're co-chairs now. Uh, but I'm still on the committee. Uh, Steve Griffin's on the committee. And uh, we put together a real good, for 20, 20 years, a real good lobby day. In person, we'd attract uh, 50 attendees. No matter what we did to publicize it, no matter how important we made it sound, it was important, we couldn't get more than 50 people to attend. From and across the state of New York. Yeah. Uh, and some of those were out of state that did attend. Yeah. Uh, but we would do 75 to 80 visits with legislators. A lot of times not with them personally, but with their staff, which is just as, was just as good. So your intent is to, even though you're officially retired from the industry, you're, you're from a employment, you're still going to stay active. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, on, uh, I'm on some Met committees. Uh, there's, there's certain things I really enjoy. Uh, the, uh, the scholarship committees. Uh, I really, I really get a kick out of those. So I was chairman of the Met for a while. I've been on the Met committee for it's got to be twenty years, twenty five years. Uh, I'm on a nice scholarship committee. I'm on uh, three other boards: the New York Green Industry Council, Empire State Council of Agricultural Organization. So I'm staying involved with them. Stay involved with the Met. Stay involved with NYSTA. I'm not on the boards of NYSTA or, or the Met. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to stay involved. Part of the problem with, with superintendents retiring is their, their whole vast amount of, uh, you know, practical knowledge and experience goes away with them. And that's a shame. You know, there's currently no real repository, if you will, for um, sort of accrue the uh, or, or aggregate the uh, the experience of, of these guys who retire. And it's funny you should say that because um, one of my assistants assumed my position. You know, we, we didn't open the job up. You know, my first assistant was with me almost 30 years in career really? assistant, never wanted to be the superintendent. Never wanted to leave more far to be a superintendent anywhere else or an assistant. So, so he, he he's going to keep his position as it is. And my second assistant, who's been at more for around fifteen years, assumed the job. Uh, but we had that conversation, that exact conversation. I said, James, I know you've been here fifteen years. I said, but I I just can't tell you everything we, we've gone through in 50 years on this golf course. What I started doing the last couple of years, I, I, I knew this time was coming. I was going to be leaving. But I started doing a, a monthly diary, for lack of a better term. There's a lot of history up here. You know, it really I guess, is. huh? Yeah. So, over the, so, so the original nine was built in, I don't know, 62-ish, something like that. So that's, what, 60 years old now. And the back nine would be... 50 some years old mm -hmm. what kind of and and given the um the limited play regardless of whether it was 350 or 7,000 or whatever you peaked at um what kind of improvements did you make 
over the years in, in terms of, I mean, did you put new irrigation in, uh, any, anything like that? I'm assuming yeah. you had to. When the, when the back nine was constructed, the, the whole, the whole 18 holes had upgraded irrigation, uh, okay. new pump station, uh, new main lines. And, you know, it was a, it was a single row system back then. So that was in, in the early 70s. That was 1970, 71. Uh, but we, as when it got to the uh, early, late 90s, early 2000s, I could start to see, especially the bunkers. I mean, our bunkers were horrendous. Yeah, old age. Yeah, it was just old age. You know, drains weren't working anymore. Sand right. was contaminated. So that was the main impetus for me to go to, to the powers of be. And suggest we go through a, uh, we start a master plan. Prior, priority being bunkers and tees. We put together, it was, it was supposed to be a two year project, two summers. Number one, you get a better price from a contractor in the summertime because not most clubs want him around in the summertime. Right. But we we're a little different. The plan included a new irrigation system. Uh, we had already graded our pump system, uh, but 10 years before that, our pumps were in great shape. So it's basically everything from the pump house out. You know, it's rain. We put rainbird in. It came out. It came out real well. But to answer your question, we did update. You know, in the mid two thousands. So uh, during my limited research, I did the the few comments that I could find on these golf forums. It was mentioned several times that um, the place was immaculate, which it should be, I guess, given. Yeah, yeah exactly. Given how much attention did you pay since again getting back a little bit you work for a sole owner more or less so there're no oh, yeah. committees no committees no the golfers have no say whatsoever in the way that your uh course is maintained well to a certain point i mean uh well, yeah i mean they weren't demanding uh, you know, ridiculous green speeds and oh. and and stuff like that. No. They wanted to have a good time. They were having a good time and entertaining clients. I mean, it was used for, you know, used Monday to Friday for business, entertain clients. So I guess my question is, um, how much did you feel a need to buy into the latest and greatest uh, turf management? stuff that came out from you know moisture management to um to groomers and aerifiers and you know all that kind of stuff did, did you feel a need to really stay at the very cutting edge of that or or not no no not, not the cutting edge you know obviously do aerification you know right grooming, that type of thing. Yeah. but you know uh store moisture meters you know, we did it the old-fashioned way. You know, we go out and probe around. You know, after after fifty years, if you don't know where your problem spots are going to be after fifty <laughs> years, and you know, it, there was really no need. I mean, myself, my assistants, they knew they knew the hot spots. They didn't have to go probe them. They could, they just knew. And you know, nine times out of ten, they were right. Yeah. So, no, we've never used a moisture meter. I probably shouldn't admit that, but we haven't. Economically, we did what we had to do, you know, golf or no golf. Sure. 
because that just that built up as a problem. It is there's no there's no wear and tear to speak of. So you know th- that's an issue we had to keep keep on top of. So your par three divots were healed before the uh, <laughs> before the next round came through. Huh? <laughs> well, they're at least they were repaired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you have a, a very narrow focus in terms of not really having to pay attention too much to the the golfer aspect of it. But what do you think is the biggest change in that? You know, in, in your time in terms of management practices and things like that. Well, management practices obviously the first thing that pops up is you know is green speed. You know, back in the seventies, you know, we're cutting greens at half an inch sometimes a little bit over a quarter inch yeah. right every other day uh so they were rolling seven or eight back in the day they're probably rolling six or seven yeah yeah, yeah. you know now we're up to nine ten you know our, our club is nine ten uh it's, it's it's not high it's high handicap golf it's not low handicap golf very few right. we have some we have some but for the most part it's, they're there to entertain clients have a good time they're not looking to get the, the help beat out of them now, in terms of facilities, uh, Morfar, uh, from what I understand, has a uh, small, modest clubhouse and a pro shop. Yeah, the clubhouse is a former, you know, private residence. Okay. It was uh, it was used as the general manager's home. Uh, Pat Lucas lived there for a while. Uh, we never had we never had a need for a clubhouse until. Uh, 1976. That's when we so we took on corporate members. It wouldn't be an individual member like you and me. <clears throat> we had to be a corporation, you know, a bank, stock brokerage firm, uh, that, that type of thing, who had a relationship with AIG, doing business with AIG. They would give the opportunity to join as a member and entertain their clients on the property. So, and they were pretty well. They were pretty well limited, correct, in, as to how many rounds. Or, yeah, they they were given. Uh, if you work for, if you're an AIG entity, entity, uh, you were given four. If I recall, four tea times, four tea times a day. Every day, every day of the week, you you could have four tea times. Uh, the other members could have uh, one. Per day. <laughs> that's how the play was limited. So that's how it all started. So that's when the, the residence was transformed to a clubhouse. Pretty much hasn't changed since. It's been renovated inside. You know, kitchen's been redone. Locker room's been redone a couple times. The locker room was the old garage for your car. It's just went from a garage to a locker room. And the well, it's interesting shop, when you when you hear about you know a five hundred acre you know, very exclusive, private, secretive type. Um, I usually use the word club, but it's not a club. Yeah, we um, don't call ourselves a club. It's no, more a property or facility. Um, you know, you think there's going to be like a Jasna Palana or something like that, this magnificent, you know, estate thing that's there. When, when reading about it, the first thing that came to my mind was 
um, the clubhouse at Taconic up in Williamstown, Mass., which is just a little, you know, white clabbered building with a sign out front, one one beer on Sam Adams on tap, I think. And you <laughs> might as well just say, we play golf here. You know, there's no nonsense, no other extraneous stuff. Yeah, we, we, yeah we're, we're golf only. It, it's rustic. Uh, our owner does not want uh... – doesn't like a lot of change. I mean, we got no, some no flash and sizzle. No, you drive by, you drive by the facility. You don't even know it's there. So it's pretty low key. There's people in town. There's people in Brewster that don't even know it exists. <laughs> you know, newcomers to town. Tell us about how how it got named Morfar. Uh, okay, Mister, like I, like I said, Mister Star bought the property in the late forties. Just as a weekend getaway, his company was organized, was formed over in China. So he moved to America, moved the company over to New York City. He brought a lot of his Chinese staff with him, and they would spend the the week in the city with him. And uh, some of them would come to Bruce with him for weekends. The Chinese staff just they didn't speak very good English, if any. Their 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 friends would ask them, "Where, where, where are you going? Where are you going on a weekend this weekend?" We where do you when you leave? Where do you go? And they would say to their friends, "It's it's more far," meaning it's more far from New York City. We're going more far, and and that's a that's a true story, and, and that, that's stuck. how the name is stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and if you read the logo, you know, you've seen our logo, I'm sure. The Chinese characters. I don't think it's on, I all have. Our, it's on our shirts, our hats. Uh, it, it's, it's it's those Chinese characters. There was nothing they would they could say they could couldn't write more far in Chinese. The closer they could get would be a faraway place. So oh. those characters on all our attire is, is faraway place. It's more far. Hmm. Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, that story is true. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing is a fascinating story. I think I I I know I've known you for a long time and been sort of semi aware of of the property, but it wasn't really until I started digging into this thing a little bit that uh, all of these over the years. Big... I mean, we're up to uh, we're up to about fifteen, probably over fifteen hundred acres now. Really? Uh, yeah, the owner was buying as development got closer to the golf course. I mean, there was nothing around us. You know, Brewster, 75 years ago, was all dairy farms. No trees, no nothing. I mean, just dairy farms. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so dairy farms went away. You know, we became a bedroom community for New York City. Companies started buying up, you know, they buy two, three hundred acres at a time. Just for protection. Sure. Uh, so we're at, we're at least at 1,500 acres now. Uh we were close to 2000 for a while, but uh, we sold some off to the city of Danbury. Uh, they, they needed some, they wanted some recreational space. So uh, we sold them a couple hundred acres five or six years ago and developed into walking trails and, you know, that type of thing. You still say we instead of they. Yeah, that's going to be a tough habit to break. <laughs> After 50 oh, years, I two, guess. It's only I been guess. two months. <laughs> um, yes. So usually I ask uh, 
in these interviews to give us a, a nugget about club relations. And I can't ask you that because there, there haven't been much of any. No, I, you know, I report, uh, I report to a general manager. Uh, the manager currently is, is the, is only the fifth manager I've had in 50 years. So anybody who comes to Morfar has a tendency, once they get here, not to leave, for the most part. I mean, we've got a couple of managers who were terminated for one reason or another. Last three I've had have been there for 10 plus years. You know, and my, my, even my overall staff, I mean, uh, like it's six full, we had six, I had, I had six full timers. Uh, and they're all, if not 20 years, they're close to it plus. 20, 30 years at Morfar. Let's finish up with uh, what you think is the biggest challenge fa facing golf course management today. Not necessarily the game, but golf course management. So labor. Just finding labor, keeping labor, being able to keep up with the, uh, the pay scales. That, that's one of the reasons I, that's one of the things put me into retirement mode. You know, I'll work all day on a golf course. I'll, I'll mow. I'll break a bunker if I have to. But, you know, dealing with the labor day in, day out, trying to find it and keep it, it just became a drag. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of the one of the things that finally made me say, you know, it's time. You know, let's – and plus, like I said, my crew's been here a long time. At some point, you know, they're going to start retiring. And – Get I, out I, I don't have, they do, right? I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're a great staff. I mean, Morehead got a great staff. You know, right from the kitchen down to the grounds crew. So, any nuggets of wisdom so far as uh, keeping people, or you know, you say a lot of your guys have been there for a long time. Uh, yeah, and they're not there because of the money. You know, we're, we're historically right. we're not a, we're not a high paying club. Right, they're there because they're, they're treated right. In my retirement plans, a big part of that plan was uh, pretty much take winters off, do whatever, and then go back to Morfar on the grounds, just on the grounds. Really? Yeah. I talked over with my assistant ahead of time. He said, yeah. He said, I love that idea. You know, and I would do whatever. But unfortunately, it came down to brass tacks, our, our owner's companies. His overall, he's got a, a big company. His, his overall corporate philosophy is, and corporate rule is, when a, when a supervisor leaves, he cannot go back and work for the new supervisor. And, and I, you know, once I thought about it, I, I could understand it. He felt it wasn't fair to the new guy, wasn't fair to the staff. So that that brushed my balloon a little bit, because I really look forward to doing that. No responsibility to do the job I was assigned that morning. But uh, believe me, I'm not going to sit still once April rolls around. I'm going to I'm going to latch on to something. Yeah, we're not we're not leaving Brewster. Uh, the the owner has he's let me live in the house that I've had for 20 years here. I'm going to start renting it shortly. So short term, I'm going to be here. You know, long term, who knows? But short term. So you've uh, lived on the property. Yeah, right next door. Actually, I can look out my back window and look look at the grass tennis courts. As a matter of fact, in my, pretty much in my backyard. 
Okay, Mike, excellent. Hey, congratulations on a great career. It's a fascinating story. Uh, I feel privileged to share it with you and... uh, yeah, I enjoy talking about it. I don't get to talk about it very often. But... Well, now that your gag order has been released, right, that you're retired. <laughs> but, uh, you know, thank you for uh, for the legislative stuff and all of the, the, the activity on the political front, and we're happy to see you that you're going to continue with that. I appreciate your friendship and your membership all these years, and uh, good luck to you, and uh, be happy. I will. So thanks for the opportunity, Peter. Enjoyed it.